going forward. So with that, we are continuing in our look at the book of Romans this morning. And before we read our text, I want to do just a quick recap uh, on where we are at. We're in chapter two today, um, but Paul began this letter by introducing himself to the church in Rome, and he quickly declared um, that he was not ashamed of the gospel in any way, shape, or form, because the gospel to Paul is the power of God to save everyone who believes, he said. And um, he quickly turned from there and started unpacking why we even need to be saved in the first place. Like, why is this gospel and this whole salvation and justification thing so important to us? And, and the answer to that is because we all have sinned and we are all deserving of God's full wrath, like the full brunt of his wrath. So Paul said that because of our disobedience, God has given mankind over to um, its, its own sin and its own desires. And what has resulted from that is this world of brokenness and war and disease and on and on and on that we live in today. Um, the state of our world is not the result of anything that God has done, per se. And it's not even fully accurate to say it's the result of what, like, the devil has done. Um, it largely is the result of what we have done. And um, the church in Rome uh, was not removed from this. And um, Paul was seeking to really present an argument, as we have said, and yet the church in Rome was home to two different kinds of people who were trying to get along as brothers and sisters in Christ. And those were Jews and then also Gentiles, which was sort of a general term for non-Jewish people. Um, and Paul is seeking to address both of those groups here in the book of Romans because they both had their own issues. And at the point where we pick up today, he has turned his attention to the Jews um, in particular because many of them believed that they would be saved, not necessarily because of anything that Christ had done, but because of the pure fact that they were Jews, that that, that in and of itself was enough to save them from death and separation from God. And the reasoning there was that because they were the chosen people of God, that he would ultimately redeem them, despite their intentional, willful, habitual continuation in sin. And that is where we pick up today. So if you would turn with me in your copy of God's Word, Romans chapter 2, we are starting in verse 12. And as always, let me encourage you to just keep your Bible open. And, um, and also, uh, I encourage you to take notes or to journal as we talk through these things of the Lord says anything to you or you see anything in the text that you feel like you need to remember or come back to any questions you have, I would encourage you to write those down as we move forward. Romans chapter two, beginning in verse 12. For all who have sinned without the law will also perish without the law. And all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. For it is not the hearers of the law who are righteous before God, but the doers of the law who will be justified. For when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do what the law requires, they are a law unto themselves. Even though they do not have the law, they show that the work of the law is written on their hearts while their conscience also bears witness and their conflicting thoughts accuse 
or even excuse them on that day when, according to my gospel, God judges the secrets of men by Christ Jesus. But if you call yourself a Jew and rely on the law and boast in God and know his will and approve what is excellent because you are instructed from the law, and if you are sure that you yourself are a guide to the blind, a light to those who are in darkness, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of children, having in the law the embodiment of knowledge and truth, you then who teach others, do you not teach yourself? While you preach against stealing, do you steal? You who say that one must not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who boast in the law dishonor God by breaking the law. For as it is written, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. The word of the Lord. So let me start off by saying I sometimes feel at a bit of a disadvantage in fully imbibing some of the scriptures. One, because I am not a Jew and a great deal of the Bible is written by and about. Jewish people. And, and also, I, I think for those reasons, it can be difficult for us, um, kind of Western, American, white, uh, middle to upper class Christians, to, to fully get the context of Judaism. Because we, in our personal families, we do not have this family heritage that is wrapped up in religion in the way that it was and is even today for the Jews. To be Jewish was not just a claim of genetic or ethnic heritage or lineage. There were also all of these implications that involved being the chosen covenant people of God. And this came along also with the law, this intense legal, moral, and even dietary code. Um, and throughout history, God had desired the Jews to be a people who were distinct and who were set apart from the rest of the world. This was the intention of the command that God repeatedly gave them in the Old Testament, be holy for I am holy, which meant be set apart because I am set apart. It didn't just mean like be good and moral because God is good and moral. It meant be different because God is different. Be like God. Um, and so that's why the Jews ultimately developed this whole worldview that said there is us and then there is everyone else. There's us. We are God's chosen people, God's covenant people, um, the people through whom Messiah will come. Um, we are the ones who possess the law. And then there's the rest of the world, the heathens, the unbelievers, the lawless, the Gentiles. And, and most of us, I don't think, view the world in quite that way. We don't view this world as being uh, this thing where we are like more special to God than other people. Um, or that we are more likely to receive God's grace than other people because of our heritage and ethnicity. I don't, I don't think most of us view the world in that way. I don't think we view the world in terms of us 
and whoever us is for you and, and then everyone else. Um, it is kind of amazing that that was the Jewish mindset that there were Jews and then there were Gentiles. Because if you just think about the rest of the world, I mean, you're talking about an enormous mix of ethnicities and tribes and languages and cultures and nations. And yet to the Jews, there was us and there was them. And that was their worldview. And that's just not the way we see things uh, for most of us. And so I think it can be difficult sometimes to maybe kind of fully take in some of what is on the page as we're reading the scriptures. And so with all of that in mind, you can imagine why it was maybe so difficult for the early church to embrace this blend of Jews and Gentiles, because it really was a clash of cultures. The Jews had all of these rituals and holidays and ordinances, and the Gentiles not only didn't have those things, they also didn't really care to have those things or really understand why those things were important. And that was very difficult for many Jews to process. In fact, early on in the church, um, there was this group of people called the Judaizers that rose up. You've maybe heard of them before, but the Judaizers um, believed incorrectly that yes, Jesus was the Messiah, but, um, which is never a good place to start, yes, Jesus is the Messiah, but, they thought, but first you have to do all of these things. You have to become Jewish and embrace Jewish ritual and heritage and the Jewish law in order to actually reap the benefits of the Messiah. So yes, Jesus might be the Christ, but if you want to like access him, it isn't about God's grace per se or about faith per se. It's really more about you being Jewish. And so this was a heretical belief that Paul and others push back against, that in order to follow Jesus, you first had to like convert to Judaism and embrace the Jewish uh, law and rituals. Paul goes to great lengths um, to change people's minds on this point and to let people know that really, no, all you need is Jesus. Um, Jesus is the way, as we read earlier, and the truth and the life. Um, and so it wasn't this Jesus plus things. It wasn't, yes, Jesus, but first you have to do all of these things. For Paul, it was the pure gospel itself that Christ alone um, and faith in Christ alone was all that was needed in order to be redeemed. And so Paul, in his writing, not only here in Romans, but in other places as well, addresses the fact that the gospel is good news for all people. It's not just good news for the Jews. He uses this phrase, he'll say, for the Jew first and then the Greek, meaning everyone. Um, the gospel is for everyone. And um, you don't even actually need the law. Um, you don't have to observe the law, because for most of the world that lived outside of the Jewish sphere, they didn't have the law. They had not grown up with the law. That wasn't a part of their life. They didn't have the holidays. They didn't have the rituals. And Paul's saying you don't have to have those things in order to be saved. Uh, if you look at your text, the key verses, I think, in today's text really are verses 12 and 13, which is where we started. For all who have sinned without the law will also perish without the law. For all who have sinned without the law will also perish without the law, and all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. For it is not 
the hearers of the law who are righteous before God, but the doers of the law who will be justified. So again, Paul is primarily addressing the Jews in today's text. That's who he's talking to. And as we established last week, he's seeking to say, you will not be saved from your sins simply because you are Jewish, because God shows no partiality, which means God judges each person individually. Um, But then Paul gets real specific, and he addresses two reasons why the Jews would perhaps argue that they would, in fact, be justified simply because of their heritage. I want to talk about these real quick. The first that we see today uh, was that the Jews would be saved because they possessed the law. I think Paul is um, addressing this issue as if it were an argument that people would make to him. That, well, hey, we're the ones who have the law. God has done an incredible thing. If you remember the story of Moses and the early Israelites who came out of Egypt, I mean, God sustained them in the wilderness. God hands down the law at Mount Sinai. God leads them to worship him in this um, intricate and detailed way. He calls them to be a very specific kind of people set apart. And the law was their standard for doing those things. And so there was this sense of entitlement to some extent that the Jews had because they possessed the law. So the first reason that they might argue, no, God is going to save us because of our heritage was because they possessed the law. The second reason we will see next week, and that was that they possessed circumcision. Um, I thought maybe circumcision might not be uh, something great to spend 30 minutes on on Mother's Day. So we're going to save that for next week. Um, but that was the other reason. There was literally this physical marking that God had given them that set them apart as being distinct and different and as being God's people. So um, as we will see, it was natural for them to think, well, yes, maybe Jesus is the Messiah, but surely these Gentile people still have to be circumcised because that had always been their practice. That had always been the way that they distinguished themselves as the people of God. But Paul's point is pretty clear. God is is not just interested in what you claim. God is interested in what you do. He's kind of already made this point, but he's making it again today. God is not just interested in what you claim. God is interested in what you do. What you do really is the best indicator of what you believe. And this is the problem with hypocrisy, right? The hypocrite is someone who says that they believe something but, but then does something else, right? So those two pieces are incongruent. What they say and what they do are incongruent. And Paul is pushing back against this. Um, Jesus also talks about this. Uh, we looked at this in the Sermon on the Mount, um, to some extent, in Matthew 7. Jesus says, are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or are figs gathered from thistles? He says, so every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear good or bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So even Jesus is looking for what do you do? It's not just what do you say, um, not just what do you kind of intellectually or mentally assent to, but what is actually coming out of your life? 
What is the fruit? James, the brother of Jesus, says in his New Testament letter, be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror, for he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law of God, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. So it's very similar to some of what Paul said today in this, that um, even with the Jews, it's not just, do you have the law? It's not just, have you heard the law? It's not just, do you believe the law? It's, do you do it? Are you actually putting it into practice in your life? Because what he says is, that's how God is going to judge people. It's not just, what do you think? It's, what do you do? And ideally, for us as Christ followers, hopefully those two things are coming closer together as you grow and mature in following Christ. Hopefully what you say and what you believe intellectually and what you actually do in practice, hopefully those two things are becoming more of a cohesive unit as you mature. Um, for many people, though, just pure hypocrisy reigns. And, and you're not removed from that. I'm not removed from that. There are times in our lives when what we claim to believe does not fully match up with what we do. And we've talked about some of those things before. So Jesus is making that point. James is making that point. Paul is making that point. Um, and ultimately, it's the point that says real faith produces real fruit. Like true faith produces good fruit in our lives. And so what God is looking for from you is not simply a claim of faith, because you can claim faith, but he's looking for the fruit of your life as the evidence of whether or not what you claim is real. And um, as we said, you do what you believe most of the time. So in the context of Romans, just two quick points and then I'm done. First, I want to repeat God judges us individual, individually and without partiality. So no one in God's judgment, no one is getting special treatment. And no one is also receiving undue punishment um, that, is, that is unmerited or unfair. Um, instead, God is judging each according to what they have been given. So what he's saying today is if you have the law, then God's going to judge you as one who has the law. This is what we were just talking about. It's not just, do you have it and have you heard it? It's, are you doing it? Um, Paul's saying that's, that's kind of the metric that God is going to judge on. But if you don't have the law, then God is going to judge you as one who does not have the law. Um, if you remember the parable of the talents from last week, uh, this applies here as well. Parable of the talents, a master goes away, he entrusts his property to three servants, he gives each of them money, and upon his return, he judges them each individually based on what he has given them and the return that they offer to him based on what he has given them. And um, I think the same thing applies to what Paul is saying today, that God ultimately 
is not going to just simply look at what you have in your life. He's going to look at what is the return on that? What is coming out of your life? What is the fruit? So it's not, did you grow up in the church? It's, do you believe the gospel and is faith producing good fruit in your life? It's not just, do I know some of the scriptures? It's, do you believe the gospel and is faith producing good fruit in your life? It's not just, am I a moral person who treats people kindly? It's, do you believe the gospel and is that faith producing good fruit in your life? Um, so, so that would be number one. The second thing I would pull out is this. Paul says, Jews, you make a lofty claim to rely on the law and boast in God, but let's actually look at the fruit of that. Verse 21 says, while you preach against stealing, do you steal? You who say that one must not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? Just real quick, quick aside, what is that robbing temples thing about? Um, so if you were a good law-observing Jew, then the, like, the most like, defiling and unclean thing that you could do, aside from being, like, being around a dead body or something like that, would be to go inside a pagan temple. And so Paul is saying, are you somebody who abhors idols and is trying to live a clean life, so you claim, but then you are also like going inside pagan temples and robbing them? Because if so, you're defiling yourself. He goes on, verse 23, he says, you who boast in the law dishonor God by breaking the law. For as it is written, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. In other words, when you live lives of hypocrisy, you make a mockery of God. Like you, 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 you make God look like a fool to the watching world. And Paul says to you Jews who claim all of these things, but yet you're doing all of the things that you say you shouldn't do. Everybody looks at you and just feels like this is all silliness and it's all foolishness. And man, if there isn't a metaphor um, or, or something that is analogous to the church in America today, like if it isn't that, I don't know what it is. Because I think the same exact thing is happening today with the church in America. I think non-Christians, um, unbelievers, look at the American church and they see the abuse that's going on within the church right? They, they look at the church and they see a group of people who are constantly uh, demonizing people who are gay or constantly talking about how terrible abortion is, and yet sexual abuse is rampant within the church, um, adultery is rampant within the church, pastoral abuse is rampant within the church. Um, they see all of these things and it makes a mockery of our God, does it not? They see these things and they go, these people are just a bunch of hypocrites. Why would I ever believe these things that they're claiming? So this is, I think, why Jesus responds so harshly to the hypocrisy of the Pharisees in the Gospels. It's not just because he thinks it's a bad thing in kind of this moral sense, but it's because it, it's truly making a mockery of the Father. And it is literally driving people away from the Father as well. And we're seeing this happen outside of the church and inside of the church. How many people have left the church 
um, over the last five years even because of some of the atrocities and scandals that have come about. So there's nothing new under the sun, guys. This is not a new problem for people of faith. Um, this is a very, very old problem, and it's something that we need to recognize, not only about everyone else, we need to get the log out of our own eye first before we wor worry about the speck in the eye of the church at large. We need to examine our own hearts and our own hypocrisy and, and bring it to light and put it to death, because nothing will ever change um, if we can't do that kind of work. Like, we can call out everyone else's sin all day long. But in order to do that, often we have to turn a blind eye to our own sin. And we really want to see the church be a true beacon for people in our world today, to be a true city on a hill, then we have to do the hard work of exorcising our own sin first. And that is work that I do believe the church is called to do together in community. I think that's part of the reason why we have been brought together in this way. It's so that we can help one another in those things. And, um, and not just badmouth everybody else, but actually do the hard work of removing that, own, that, that stuff from our own community and our own body as well. Because hopefully, hopefully our little church is, you know, not experiencing the abuse and scandal that the church at large is experiencing. But yet, guys, we are all sinners and we are all capable of things that maybe we even don't think we're capable of. And um, we want to pray against those things. We also want to do the hard work in community of uh, protecting our body against those things. And that starts with each of us individually, not only being vigilant, but also looking at our own hearts and our own lives and seeking to put those things to death. God has no tolerance for hypocrisy. Now, be careful to remember the context here. Remember that Paul is establishing an argument here in Romans, and it takes him multiple chapters to put all the pieces together to ultimately get to his point. You can perhaps see how you could just pull out today's passage and use it to say that um, if I have done good things, then God will save me, or if I've done bad things, then God will punish me. Um, but I want to give you a preview of what Paul is working towards here, because that's not the point he's making. Um, what, what he's saying is not that ultimately your eternity or your salvation is going to depend solely on your good work or your good fruit. Um, what he's saying is that is, the, that is the basic metric that God judges by. He's going to look at each of us individually and judge the fruit of our lives but he's working towards an ultimate point, which is Romans 3, um, verses 23 and 24. You don't have to turn there. I'll, I'll read it. But Romans 3, 23 and 24, and we will dig more into this in the weeks to come. But here's that verse, or verse says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. That is the ultimate point in this section that he is trying to make. You are a hypocrite. You have fallen short of God's glory. You have sinned. You are unworthy of the Father's grace. You are unworthy to be in his presence. You are unworthy to be re redeemed by him. Everyone is in that boat. No one is removed from that boat. Jews are in that boat. Gentiles are in that boat. 
all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, but all have the potential to be justified by God's grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. So Paul is establishing that we are all wicked, that we all are deserving of punishment. If we are all going to be judged on the merits of the fruit of our life, then we are all going to fall short of God's glory, right? But if we are judged based on the merits of Christ's life, if we are judged on his righteousness, if we are judged based on the fruit that has come, down, come out of his life, if, if that is given to us as a gift, well, then suddenly we're looking at a very different picture, aren't we? Suddenly we're looking at a very, very different outcome. And, and that's what he's wanting us to see here, right? That we are all deserving, but there is good news, all deserving of punishment, but there is good news in the midst of this. If you're a Jew who says, I'm not deserving of punishment because I'm a Jew, well, let's take a microscope to the hypocrisy of your life, um, if that's your perspective. As James says, if that's what you think, you are deceiving yourself, right? If you're hearing the word, if you're hearing the law, Jews, but you're not doing the law, you're deceiving yourself. And um, did you notice how what he do you notice what Paul called the day of judgment in our text today? Um, it, this is verse 16. He says, it's the day when God judges the secrets of men in Christ Jesus. It's, it's the day when God kind of peels back the layers of your life and your heart and looks at the truth of you, not just what you project to the world, not just the facade you put on for everybody else, but there is coming a day when God will kind of crack you open and peel back the layers and will see what no one else can see. He will see what is really there. And so ultimately, Paul's getting to this question of, what do you want God to see when he does that? Like, what do you want him to see when he peels back the layers? Do you want him to see the real you? the hypocritical, sinful, wretched, fallen you? Or when he peels that back, do you want him to see somebody who has been reborn? Do you want him to see somebody who's been given a new heart? Do you want him to see not you, but Christ? Because if that's what you desire, then there is incredible news to be found in the pages of this book that we are reading. Um, we were hopeless before Jesus came along. Um, we could not be reconciled to the Father on our own. We could not be good enough. We could not be unhypocritical enough. And that's why the gospel is such good news for us. We are hopeless, literally hopeless without it. Even if you aren't Jewish, um, there are plenty of people who incorrectly think well, I'm a pretty good person. So, you know, I bet, I, I bet if God were to judge me, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do okay. Like, like there are many people out there who even believe in Christ, but who also think I, I still have to be good enough somehow to earn my salvation. I still have to have enough good fruit for God to be pleased with me. And Paul's message should free us from all of those things. We are all deserving of death 
an eternal separation from God. Just, just let that sit with you. I think that's part of his intention here is that we would kind of not just reflect on that, but sit in that for a moment, that we are all deserving of death and eternal separation from God. And that there is nothing that we can do to earn our way to God. But God justifies us through Christ. He makes us right before him, not by validating our good work, but by crediting Christ's good work to us as a gift. As a gift, he he says, here, you didn't even really ask for it. You you might not even really fully understand the depths of your need for it, but but here it is. That is the gospel. Full stop. Let's pray this morning. Jesus, we thank you for your grace. We thank you that um, even though we are hopeless without you, you have given your life and you have been resurrected so that we might be fully reconciled to you, not through our good work, but through your good work, through your righteousness alone. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your willingness to pour out your love and affection on us, despite our sin and despite the ways that we have turned against you. Help us as we read this today, Father, even though most of us, I don't, I don't, maybe not even any of us are Jewish, Help us to recognize, God, that we are no different in that we seek to justify ourselves through our own work. And um, we make the mistake of not fully giving you ownership of our lives. Help us, Father, to turn over more and more of ourselves to you so that we might become more and more like you. Sanctify us through the power of your Holy Spirit. We thank you for calling us to salvation and justifying us, making us right, even though we are not right, before the Father in heaven. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for the gospel. It is in your holy name we pray. Amen.